Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Now, I'm excited to share a few thoughts with you today. Last week, I shared that my friend Austin, who was hit by a car while riding his bike, is now a paraplegic and is trying to become a more inspiring speaker. He wants to improve his speaking skills so he can help others. So, we started a two-part podcast to help all of us become better presenters. Because all of us will, sometime or the other, have to speak. And it's so helpful to have a few suggestions of how to do that better. So, wherever you're listening today, whether in the car or on your daily walk or run, I hope today we can all learn something that will help us as we strive to reach our goals and better fulfill our purpose. And as always, if you like what you hear, please share this podcast with a friend. Send them the link, and that will help us further our mission. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about how to speak so people listen. On June 6, 1984, President Ronald Reagan stood on a hill called Point Duoc, an outcropping in the middle of Omaha Beach that juts out into the English Channel. Tanking Point to Duoc was the objective to be taken at all costs of two teams of rangers 40 years earlier. The day was D-Day, and later that day, tens of thousands of Allied soldiers would land at Normandy Beach, and the German guns atop that hill had to be eliminated. Now, sitting before Reagan in 1984 were 62 of those boys, those young rangers, now middle-aged men who had climbed the cliffs of Point Duoc, using grappling hooks and ladders to reach the German guns atop that hill. And while many of their fellow rangers had lost their life on D-Day, these men were gathered there to remember their fallen comrades. In 1944, the German guns atop Point Duoc were fortified with concrete, securing the gun pits from which Germans would fire artillery at any invading force. And the bunkers atop the hill held six 155-millimeter guns and 30 anti-aircraft guns. So on D-Day, rangers from the U.S. 2nd and 5th Battalions were given the task to take Point Duoc. The plan was to land the battalions by sea on Omaha Beach. The men would cross the beach and scale the cliffs using ladders and ropes before the primary landing of men and equipment that would follow. So at 7.10 a.m., the Rangers' assault force was carried ashore in 10 landing craft. Before they even got near the shore, one landing craft was sunk, with all its occupants being drowned in the choppy waters. Now, some of the landing craft landed further down Omaha Beach, and after suffering heavy casualties, the Rangers finally climbed the hill and took control of the German gun placements. But before they could secure anything, the Germans came at them in several waves, killing many of the men. But soon, after several battles, they had Point Duoc secured. Well, in commemoration, sitting on that hill that day in 1984 with President Reagan was William Petty. As a soldier on D-Day, he tried three times to reach the top of Point Duoc, but his teammates were shot and he had to fight through 30 German soldiers during his climb. Leonard Lamel made it up the cliff and destroyed two German guns with grenades. 
Frank South was a medic who treated numerous men on the beach. Tom Ruggiero was a professional tap dancer before the war, and despite a shell blowing up his transport boat, survived a near drowning and made it up the cliff. Now, the task of writing Reagan's address that day had been given to 33-year-old speechwriter Peggy Noonan. She was from Brooklyn, New York. She had a degree in journalism, and what she composed for that event is considered by those who've analyzed her work as simply brilliant. For sheer oratorical elegance, historian Douglas Brinkley wrote, it would become one of the most inspirational presidential speeches ever delivered. Now, Noonan, who had been at the White House about three months, had never met the president, but she adored Ronald Reagan, had a keen sense of the drama of the day, and gave Reagan words with which to speak so people then and later would listen. A speech is a soliloquy, she would write later, part theater, part declaration. It is also poetry, cadence, rhythm, and imagery. Now, when preparing for the speech, she said she spent days pacing around the Washington Monument. She read the book The Longest Day, and at one point during her pondering, she said she had a revelation. It's when she heard that the 62 men would be seated directly in front of Reagan. She was inspired and changed everything about her speech. She decided Reagan would speak directly to those men. So at the bottom of page two of her typed draft, the sentence, we have here today some of the survivors of the Battle of Point Duoc and some of the rangers who took these cliffs. It's crossed out and handwritten over it in her printed script are these words. These are the boys of Point Duoc. And that line became famous. On the day of the speech, Reagan stood before a French-built stone monument constructed atop the old German bunker. The rangers, in dark blazers, gray slacks, and business suits, stood and saluted when Reagan stepped to the lectern. Reagan returned their salute. It was an inspiring moment. Now, Noonan watched on TV in her office in Washington, and Reagan delivered her words perfectly. Forty years ago at this moment, Reagan said, the air was dense with smoke and the cries of men and was filled with the crack of rifle fire and the roar of cannon. Reagan continued, free nations had fallen. Jews cried out in the camps. Millions cried out for liberation. Europe was enslaved and the world prayed for its rescue. And here, the rescue began. Behind me is a memorial that symbolizes the ranger daggers that were thrust into the top of these cliffs, Reagan said, glancing over his shoulder. And before me, he said with a pause, are the men who put them there. These are the boys of Point Duoc, he said, stopping as the applause rose from the crowd. These are the men who took the cliffs, these are the champions who helped free a continent, and these are the heroes who helped end a war. At the end of his speech, Reagan used Noonan's closing inspired lines to pay tribute to the ranger dead. Strengthened by their courage, he said, heartened by their valor, and borne by their memory, let us continue to stand for the ideals for which they lived and died. There were tears in the eyes of the old soldiers. The speech only lasted about 14 minutes. The nation listened. And afterward, Reagan and the First Lady shook hands with the Rangers 
And that speech would go on to be known as one of the most inspiring in modern-day presidential history. Now, I've walked from the water's edge on Normandy Beach to the cliffs of Point Duoc. And when you're there, what strikes you is the huge distance these men had to cover, all the while being exposed to immense and intense enemy fire. The sheer bravery of these men stirs emotion within you. Who more than self their country loved, these men gave their lives for country on a foreign shore. It is inspiring to say the least. And I walked among the grave markers in the cemetery atop the hill at Normandy and was awed by the experience. Noonan wrote and Reagan spoke and people listened. Reagan and Noonan set aside the fact that Reagan was running for re-election. They resisted the urge to put the focus elsewhere and spoke to the men who bravely gave the last full measure of devotion. Now, no doubt you and I may never deliver a speech at such a place or time as this. However, we can all speak in ways that inspire. Perhaps we can inspire our family or our friends or co-workers or even a congregation. The spoken word has power to lift, inspire, and move people to action. And since we all have the opportunity to speak now and then, how do we learn to speak in a way that encourages people to listen? Well, in our last podcast, we discussed the need to understand where and to whom we're speaking, to speak from their view, to prime your message, to bring the audience to the same mindset, and to ask impactful questions to help them feel like they are part of the message. So let's talk a bit more about the power of questions. William Shakespeare often used questions, and they've become some of the most often quoted from his writings. For example, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? To be or not to be? Or what cares these roarers for the name of the king? You see, questions engage the audience, increase variety in your presentation, influence and persuade and draw attention to specific points. Questions even introduce new ideas. In Susan B. Anthony's famous suffrage speech, she brings everything she speaks about to a point when she asks, are not women persons? Being persons, then women are citizens, and no state has a right to make any law or to enforce any old law that shall abridge their privileges. So, when you speak, think about questions that would make your point or bring your listener along. If you're making a business presentation to a small group, you may use more questions. Maybe you ask, where does your health rank in terms of importance in your life? Questions like this may help elevate the importance of what you're presenting. Now, when you ask questions, use positive and affirming questions. If I were presenting a product to a prospect, here's some examples of what I might ask. When you're at your best, what makes that possible? What could be the benefits of using these products? What is the best thing that could happen if you said yes today? These types of questions result in positive energy and often in action. So use effective, positive questions. Now, let's move on to another way to enhance your speaking. Inc. Magazine recently reported in a survey 
that 74% of us reported that we suffer from speech anxiety. So to avoid anxiety, I often see people write out their speech word for word. Sometimes I do the same. This helps us collect our thoughts, to organize our words, and to determine the length of our comments. But the mistake we often make is trying to memorize or read the comments when presenting in person. We often try to memorize because we don't want to get flustered or we might forget what to say. We don't want to look stupid or we want to sound intelligent or knowledgeable. All really good goals. And while it's extremely helpful to become familiar with what you're going to say, I believe memorization robs you of your connection with the audience. So to preserve that connection, and also to organize my remarks in a way that I can remember what to say, I organize my speech into chunks. Now, a chunk is a section of a speech that makes a point. And each chunk has an objective of what you want to get across to the listener. It also contains the points you want to emphasize. And a chunk may include a story and almost always has an opening statement and a closing statement. And a chunk may only be a minute or two long. And the reason I use chunks is because I can remember the contents of four chunks easier than the contents of one long speech. According to neuroscience Daniel Bohr, the author of The Ravenous Brain, chunking represents our ability to hack the limits of our memory. Here's a simple example. The next time you're trying to remember items on a list, organize them into groups. A shopping list, for example, might be broken down into smaller chunks or groupings based on whether the items are vegetables, fruits, dairy, or grains. And once organized, you can remember five smaller lists easier than one long list. And the same works when you're speaking. Put your speech into chunks. Now, recently, I spoke about the concept of a belief window. And here are the chunks I used. Chunk number one, my opening priming statement. Chunk two, a story of Coach Sweeney. Chunk three, the concept that we all have a belief window and what it is. Four, how misconceptions on your window affect you. Five, how to change your belief window. And six, my personal story and close. And I just learn each chunk. Now you may ask, what if you forget what chunk comes next? Well, at the end of each chunk, I make a closing statement that ties to the next chunk. So you automatically link the chunks together. Now, many great speakers refer to notes to help them move through a speech more economically, and that's fine. Too often we worry what people will think if we refer to notes. Well, who cares? If your content is strong, it's natural to use a map to help you move along. I've also noticed everyone who speaks has weaknesses and strengths. Now, do you know your weaknesses and strengths? Perhaps you have a good voice or a great smile or a good sense of humor. Perhaps you're insightful. You easily pause and use intonation. Maybe you're genuine and the list goes on. Well, here's my advice. Focus on your strengths. If you made a list of your strengths and weaknesses, you'd be better served by moving your sevens to become tens rather than your ones to fours. And this means lean into your presentation strengths. So. If you're a genuine person, share personal stories and seek to empathize with others. If you're an energetic person, use pace and positivity to engage the audience. So how do you come to learn your strengths? 
Well, ask someone. Ask someone you trust. Watch yourself on video. Seek input. I can't emphasize this enough. If you want to improve as a speaker, choose someone you trust and also that understands how to give an effective talk and rehearse with them. You have to get vulnerable to get better. And when I've done this, I have always improved. It will help you get better. And if you can videotape yourself, do it. Just like a football player watches tape of their game performance, watching yourself will help you improve. But get ready, because if you're like me, you won't like what you see. But it will spur you on to improve. Now, great speakers are sometimes not the best at arranging words or even the most eloquent. They are, however, the most heartfelt. So with all your preparation and rehearsal, don't forget to just be you. A perfect example of this was Billy Crystal. Early in his career, Billy became famous impersonating the sportscaster Howard Cosell. And if you ever listened to Cosell, he had a strange accent and a rather wild way of emphasizing words. And Billy Crystal could take anything Cosell said and say it better and funnier. Well, Cosell seemed to always be the commentator for Muhammad Ali interviews and fights. And as a result, Billy Crystal came up with a great routine impersonating Ali and Cosell. And one evening, he was invited to an event where Ali was in attendance, and Crystal did his impersonations at that event. Well, after the evening, Ali and Billy became fast friends. Ali started calling Billy his little brother. And through the years, their friendship grew. And when Ali passed, Billy was asked to speak at his funeral. Millions viewed the funeral on television. And here's what Billy Crystal said. I had so many funny, unusual moments with Ali. I sat next to him at Howard Cosell's funeral. A very somber day, to be sure. Closed casket was on the stage. Muhammad and I were sitting somewhere over there next to each other. And he quietly whispered to me, Little brother, do you think he's wearing his hairpiece? So I said, uh, I don't think so. Ali said, well, then how will God recognize it? So I said, champ, once he opens his mouth, God will know. So he started laughing. It was a muffled laugh at first, but then we couldn't contain ourselves. We were there at a funeral, me and Muhammad Ali, laughing like two kids who heard something dirty in church. We were just laughing and laughing. Then he looked at me and whispered, Howard was a good man. Billy Crystal demonstrated the power of speaking so people will listen. And he ended the eulogy of Ali with this. Ali forced us to take a look at ourselves, this brash young man who thrilled us, angered us, confused and challenged us, ultimately became a silent messenger of peace, who taught us that life is best when you build bridges between people, not walls. My friends, only once in a thousand years or so do we get to hear a Mozart or see a Picasso or read a Shakespeare. Ali was one of them. And yet at his heart, he was still a kid from Louisville who ran with the gods and walked with the crippled and smiled at the foolishness of it all. He is gone, but he will never die. He was my big brother. Now to help us all remember a few strengths Let me suggest a few of those strengths and skills that can help you speak so people listen. First, 
It doesn't matter how eloquent you are. If you're encouraging and uplifting, you will speak so people listen. I've learned positivity, faith, and hope will carry what you have to say. Even in business presentations, you can bring a dose of positivity to what you do. Second, speak faith into those who listen. I've often wondered, should I be hesitant to declare my belief that people can improve, that circumstances will turn for good, and that people can reach their potential? It's almost always the right thing to do. Third, remember, if you have great content, people will listen. They'll follow. With great content, your delivery really doesn't matter as much. You know, each week I listen to an amazing podcast done by a man and woman I respect a great deal. And their delivery, honestly, isn't that strong. But their content is life-changing. And I never miss their podcast. So before you focus on anything else, focus on what you're sharing. If you want an example of this, look no further than the power of content found in the Gospels of the New Testament. When Jesus is speaking to the thousands on the seashore and says, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you, I suspect it didn't matter his delivery, and he didn't need a PowerPoint. The words themselves carried the power of his message. And these words, by the way, have changed the hearts of millions of people. So remember, good content matters. Next, great speakers use pause now and then to create effect. When they want to communicate with energy, they increase pace and utilize it effectively. And then they often use repetition, contrast, and emphasis. They eliminate from their vocabulary filler words like um and ah. And this takes practice, but you can eliminate the distracting words we typically use, especially when we're nervous. And remember, no one starts on the big stage. We all start in a small room with just a few people listening. And while we're making lists, here's just a few things to avoid, things not to do. Try not to remark on your remarks. You know, when someone makes a statement and then says something like, I don't know why I always say that, I just like it. Or some other way of commenting on their comments. Don't do it. And try not to be too funny. Sometimes we try too hard or laugh at our own jokes. Use humor appropriately and sparingly. Other not-to-dos include over-apologizing, taking too long to get to your point, going too long, or talking about yourself exclusively. And try not to ever begin a talk by saying, I have 10 things to talk to you about today. People shut down when you give them a numbered list. Instead, say, I have a few suggestions or a few principles to share. Don't use your phone for notes. It gets really distracting. Dial up your energy level and smile. Smile a lot. And people often ask, what do I do with my hands when I speak? Well, I have two rules. Don't overuse them and don't underuse them. And last, remember, like anything, becoming a great speaker takes practice, work, and the pursuit of excellence. Now, all of us have listened to speeches that have changed our life. I've had college professors who inspired me to change my profession, to believe in myself or cause me to act. 
I've had church ministers who have inspired me to pray or serve as a missionary and try to be a better person. I've had speakers that simply made me feel good about life, who I was and where I lived. You can have this kind of impact through your speaking. You know, a few of my favorite speeches were those given at the funeral of President Reagan. After his death, following a 10-year battle with Alzheimer's, Reagan's casket remained in state at the Capitol Rotunda for about 36 hours. And before it was taken to the National Cathedral, Nancy, his wife, wearing a black suit, walked slowly up the cathedral steps, ran her hand over the American flag covering the casket, and then she and members of the Reagan family waited at the bottom of the Capitol's western steps while Army howitzers fired a 21-gun salute, and the casket was carried down to a waiting hearse to the strains of the military band. Standing under an umbrella, Nancy Reagan held her right hand over her heart as the casket was placed in the hearse. At the funeral service, Margaret Thatcher would speak and would say, Ronald Reagan embodied another great cause, what Arnold Bennett once called the great cause of cheering us all up. His politics had a freshness and optimism that won converts from every class and every nation, and ultimately from the very heart of the evil empire. Yet, his humor often had a purpose beyond humor. In the terrible hours after the attempt on his life, his easy jokes gave reassurance to an anxious world. They were evidence that in the aftermath of terror and in the midst of hysteria, one great heart, at least, remained sane and jocular. He was truly grace under pressure. And perhaps his humor signified grace of a deeper kind. Ronnie himself certainly believed that he had been given back his life for a purpose. As he told a priest after his recovery, whatever time I've got left now belongs to the big fella upstairs. At the funeral, George H. Bush said, Ron left me a note when I became president, at the top of which said, don't let the turkeys get you down. Well, he certainly never let them get him down, and he fought hard for his beliefs. He led from conviction but never made an adversary into an enemy. He was never mean-spirited. I asked Reverend Billy Graham for a Bible passage that might be appropriate for Ronald Reagan, and he suggested this from Psalm 37. The Lord delights in the way of the man whose steps he has made firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. President Bush said, Ronald Reagan carried himself even in the most powerful office, with the decency and attention to small kindnesses that also define a good life. He was a courtly, gentle, and considerate man, never known to slight or embarrass others. And many people across the country cherished letters he wrote in his own hand, to family members on important occasions, to old friends dealing with sickness and loss, to strangers with questions about his days in Hollywood. A boy once wrote to the president requesting federal assistance to help clean up his bedroom. And the president wrote him back and replied that unfortunately funds are dangerously low. He continued, I'm sure your mother is fully justified in proclaiming your room a disaster. Therefore, you are in an excellent position to launch another volunteer program in our nation. Congratulations. See, President Bush said, our 40th president wore his title lightly, and it fit like a white Stetson. We know, as he always said, 
that America's best days are ahead of us. But with Ronald Reagan's passing, some very fine days are behind us. And that is worth our tears. In the end, through his belief in our country and his love for our country, he became an enduring symbol of our country. All of us can learn to speak so people listen. And in doing so, we can become more useful in our work and our families and our lives. And in that speaking, you don't need to be perfect, but just try to be a bit better each time you get the chance. So as we end today, let me talk directly to Austin. Austin, your life has changed following your accident, but your desire to share your experience to help people through your speaking is a noble and worthy goal. Remember, be yourself. Be authentic. Let your story and the content you share be what is inspirational. Practice and put to use a few of these suggestions and watch. You will become an instrument for God to help those who need a boost, some encouragement, and the perspective necessary to change their lives for good. And to all of you joining us today, I hope you know your speaking can do the same. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.